podcast one production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Today we're talking about 3D printing and the social and economic impact that it will have. Now, don't go getting bored on us already. We're going to make sure you are absolutely fascinated by this discussion. Uh, It's based on a report from the World Economic Forum identifying the ways which 3D printing will change the world, and it is really quite extraordinary. Dr. Keith, what sparked your interest about this whole thing? Well, at the moment, we're going through a trade dispute between China and the United States, uh, initiated by President Trump. This report suggests that perhaps in a few decades' time, even less, um, there will be less of a trade dispute between the US and China because the United States will simply make stuff at home literally in your own home rather than having to import it. And the technique for doing it is called 3D printing. Um, The technical term is additive manufacturing. So it's a bit like having um, a sheet of paper which you print out on and the printer's ink goes across that sheet of paper. And then if you're putting in colours, then you build more and more onto it. Well, if you can imagine that now scaled up to producing your own home that way. I don't... Okay. I do not understand how this even works. I can't even visualise, Keith, because I'm, again, technologically inept, <laughs> like a lot of our population, I'm sure, with me on that. But I just I just don't see how... So what kind of stuff at the moment can we 3D print? Well, at the moment we're printing body parts. So if you go in for an operation on your knees or your hips, for example, the chances are that'll be printed. A lot of um, dentistry now, um, if you go in to have a filling put in, if you remember the old days, you'd go into the dentist and then they would drill a hole in the existing tooth, take out the decayed material, and then they would impact in... Filling. Filling. Mm. That's gone. Instead, if you're going to a really sophisticated dentist, they will look at your tooth send the designs to a, a printer, which will then print out your filling. And then the, the, the filling comes back and it just gets inserted into the tooth. They do a bit of work just to clean it all up and then glue it in. But how do they get that material that goes in the tooth? Whatever they make that out of, you know. A how- ceramic. Then yeah. In that case, it's a ceramic. So you can do printing with a, with a variety of things. So, for example, uh, we've had a concern in New South Wales, no doubt elsewhere, because there's a guy in Texas who has put onto the internet a design for a plastic gun. So this is a gun that will fire particular types of bullets. Did you say from Texas? From Texas, yeah, this is it. Of course it's Texas. Um, And so the guy um, has put on the design. So if you've got a machine that prints in plastic, you could then produce a gun which will not be picked up by airline security because it'll just go through the X-ray machine without any parts containing metal. Now, what they do for the bullets, I don't know, and I don't want to ask questions, but that's the theory. So you end up then with this problem that obviously it's a security problem. You've got people printing out their own guns. What I find fascinating is that the World Economic Forum um, on its website is also talking about um, a San Francisco company called Apis Core who can produce a house for you 
for $10,000 American. And it is 38 square metres or about 400 square feet. So it's a small house. They, they talk about it being very cosy. So it's got a bathroom, a kitchen and a large sitting room which would contain a bedroom. It's really a bit like the accommodation that you would have if you're an upmarket student. Uh, university colleges now aim to produce apartments that size. That's a, probably a, a Sydney studio apartment. But we're going back to how this even works. Yep. And this machine would be probably the size of a warehouse to, to pump out something like that. It's based in a warehouse, but it's not quite the size of a warehouse, but it is certainly a large machine. It sits in the middle and then builds the material around it, if you can imagine that. Right. And it looks like a printer. And it looks like, well, it, well it's, it's a, a, a squeezing out material. material, which then creates the walls of the house. So the walls of the house are a solid construction. And so the way they operate at the moment is that they print the house for you for 10,000 American dollars. And then, of course, you've got to get it delivered to your site and you've got to put on the cost of um, buying the land, connecting to water, sewage or power, etc. But essentially, you can get a, a, an actual house for yourself. You're not going to be able to fit your kids in very easily, but certainly for yourself, for $10,000. And it's printed. So at the end of the, pr- of the printing, so the walls are getting bigger and bigger as they're going around this giant machine, which obviously rises up as it prints the walls, fully automated, no humans involved. You get the machine at the end and then the machine can be plucked out from a crane and you've got the house. Whoa. I mean, this is just... I don't it think is most, mind-blowing. Most people don't, don't know, I would imagine, how far this technology has gone. Exactly. And that, that is the issue. You know, we've looked at things like um, uh, in the past with the impact of, of information technology. And I'm always wary of the fact that people make these alarmist predictions. But you've also got quite an interesting history of people who have said, no, there's not going to be any demand for information technology. There's one from a guy called Watson who used to be head of international business machines. They did cashiering machines and that sort of thing. And he said, oh, there'd probably be a market for around the world for, I think, 10 computers. That's it. Of course, IBM then went on to make lots of money out of computers. There's an even more famous one I noticed. It's doing the rounds at the moment. It's now 41 years old. And Ken Olson, uh, who was the founder of Digital Equipment uh, Corporation in 1977, um, who said there is no reason anyone would want a computer in their home. So this is an IT geek. You know, at least you can say Mr. Watson of IBM, you know, he was in a different era. But this guy, um, Ken Olson, actually ran his own computer company and said in 1977, well, we won't be able to get computers into people's homes. And yet, of course, you're carrying a computer around with you on your mobile phone now. Mm. So th- there's always this risk. On the one hand, you, you make statements, oh, the world is going to be transformed by computers, and people say, oh, you're being alarmist. At the other end, you've got people who simply cannot believe the rate at which the world is being changed. As I say, Ken Olsen, who ran a computer company, saying, oh, well, you'll never have computers in the home. So we've got to be very careful with these predictions. You know, people will underplay the pace of change. And, and what I find interesting is that when you look at this notion of 3D printing, that it is already in operation in a small way, 
but it's being prototyped in a variety of contexts. I've mentioned the, the building a gun, a plastic gun, uh, the house that is available in San Francisco, um, and teeth, of course, uh, teeth fillings. These things are already underway, or if you need to get more hips or knees, um, they're, they're being printed now. And then we're going to look at uh, printing flesh. What? Which is incredible, and ultimately, possibly. But that's got to be fake flesh. You can't like put material like flesh into. No, no, it's not going to be squared. It's going to be fake flesh. Yeah, but you know, who knows? And a heart or something like that will be printed out. Uh, for me, the best example of all of this is right above our heads on the International Space Station. So they needed a particular type of metal equipment on that space station. Instead of waiting for the next convoy to go up from Earth, they simply sent up the plans for printing it. They've got their own 3D printer on board. They printed out that equipment on board. Oh, my gosh. This is the the way the world is going now. The problem is that we have people who are far more concerned about sport, et cetera, but you've got these big (laughs) changes that are going to be blindsiding us. And, you know, I'm very, as you know, I'm not an IT geek. Um, I look at the social and economic impact of what's going on, and they're horrendous changes for good or ill that are going to be occurring because of 3D printing. All right, so let's go in that direction then. What what are you most worried about? Let's talk economic impacts. Yes, well, okay. I think that the, the major one, obviously, will be the transformation of manufacturing jobs. If you think back to something like your uh, mobile uh, phone, which is a camera, right? Now, I can remember a time, I'm sufficiently old, when you, when you took a photo and you took the the film down to the chemist to be developed, and two days later you got back from the chemist, from Kodak, a series of prints, right? Um, Kodak is, is broke, and yet we are taking more photos now than ever before. We take more photos globally in two minutes than we did in the whole of the 19th century, which is when cameras got invented. So you carry around with you your own camera. Now, you don't need to keep your photos. The photos are stored up in the cloud, wherever that may be. But you are doing your own work, taking your photos. Kodak is knocked out of the picture now. So you don't need Kodak as that intermediary. You do your own work. Now, the issue is with with uh, 3D printing is that instead of buying things down at the local store, you're just printed out at your own home. And so that is the new revolution. So you will see a decline in the number of, of jobs in the manufacturing sector. Obviously, if you print out your own house, then you obviously don't need too many builders. You still need painters. I was interested to look at um, the uh, Apis Core video and you actually see people painting the wall. And this is the house that's being made. This is the house in, in San Francisco. So you still need painters at the moment. So people would be in their own homes with their own printing device that you would imagine you just load a design into and the material that you need and then it prints it. Exactly. So the material could be a metal, could be some sort of plasticky type substance. So you'd have how it would work, we just don't know. It's a bit like my trying to describe how you would store photos with actually not having the photos on paper. Now you know how to do it because it's in your mobile phone. But if I was talking to you 20 years ago, about how you would store photos in a cloud, you would have had difficulty and I would have had difficulty in in sort of conceiving of that. But if you're talking about in 20 years' time, perhaps even less, remember, this is the problem which we have with computers. Progress can be faster than anybody would would think. Um, In which case, then, you would see the loss of building jobs um, and so you would have... um, 
increased unemployment. I keep worrying all the time about what computers will do to jobs. Okay, there'll be some new jobs being created. You've obviously got to have people who are able to design all the new things that are required. Um, But it means that you'll do more things at home in the same way you take your own photos and keep those photos in your own cloud somewhere. Um, You don't need to go down to the chemist. You don't need Kodak equipment. Um, So that the next development in the manufacturing era will be that you'll do your own printing of material. So then obviously this would have huge ramifications for global trade, for example. Yep, and that's what's interested the World Economic Forum because during this week we've got the crisis between the United States and China Um, and so the World Economic Forum is saying, well, it may well be in a few years' time, America, Americans will manufacture more of their own products at home, not just within the US but actually at home. You won't need to import stuff from China. Now, if you think about it, China is the workshop of the world. It's economic growth is based on the fact that it's producing computers, etc. If that's Apple, then that's probably made in China. Okay, designed in the United States, but it's actually assembled in China. So those jobs will disappear um, if you have increased robots. Now, you're not going to be able to print out your own mobile phone, but there are a lot of other basic things which you'll be able to make at home. You won't need to import from China. Or any country. Or any country. You just make it at home. And you won't need to go down to the local store to buy something because you would have printed it at home. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Suda. We're talking today about the ramifications of ramping up of 3D printing. It's quite extraordinary. I did not think I would be very interested in this conversation at all. However... You've transfixed me because you're also very passionate about the subject matter. But it is growing. Most of us don't even know what 3D printing is, but it seems it is on the up. You'll be able to print so much of this kind of gear at home. You buy yourself a little printer and then you buy the material, you put it in there, and then it can print all sorts of different things. For an example, a company in the US is building a house at the moment with certain material. There's a plastic gun that was made in Texas a few years ago. Um, Dentists are uh, creating fillings for teeth that they're putting in. There's all sorts of, you know stuff that you buy at your corner shop that you'll be able to print. Keith, this is quite incredible. So we're looking, um, we're talking about social impacts and economic. We've covered economic, socially, what does this mean? Well, the worry I've got is obviously for unemployment. It's an issue, you know, when I speak on this subject at uh, corporate conferences, I have politicians sometimes who are there who are saying, what you're touching on is interesting, but I can't talk about that with my voters because the voters are so unprepared. That's why I like to raise this as an issue, because we are an unprepared society. We're going to be blindsided by change as the jobs continue to disappear. We've already seen that, you know, when I left school, I was guaranteed a job um, because in, in England, you either went in as a bank teller or you went into work um, in the civil service. I just went, I went into the civil service. In unskilled, 15-year-old, educational disaster, but guaranteed a job. Those jobs were called entry-level jobs. So you were entering the profession or the workforce, and then you'd work your way up from those entry-level jobs. Those jobs have gone. You do your banking through a hole in the wall. In fact, you can do your banking when you go down to a, a major store And they ask, do you want to have any cash out with your money when you're buying the groceries? So you've now got ordinary grocery stores who are also serving as bankers. So that means then a a whole generation has lost out 
on these very basic jobs. Now, of course, if the, the students are well-educated, sure, they're going to go on to university and hopefully there will be other jobs waiting for them. But what worries me is a lot of this very basic stuff, you know, particularly on the, the shop floor and the factories, that those jobs will continue to go. Already we see the impact of robots assembling automobiles in Europe so you hardly have any human being on the workforce, uh, but you instead you, ha- you have all these sophisticated robots who assemble the car. The next stage will be that you will produce more things in your own home. You won't even need people bringing stuff in from the factories. In other words, fewer people delivering goods. So these are all the ramifications that we need to be thinking through. My worry is that the politicians do not want to talk about these issues because the voters will say, what are you going to do about it? And the fact is, we don't know what to do about it. It also seems so far away. Like, how do you get people to care about something that could be 10, 20 years away, you know? Well, 10 years away, certainly. And I think that that there is a a problem there because people are just so immediately focused. But you've got young children. So they're going to be unemployed unless they can find themselves a particular niche in this life. This is perhaps a subject of a whole separate talk about how we should re- reorganise schooling because schools are not preparing children for the work of the future. But what about, well, there's two arguments here. One is that um, people have five career changes. The generation coming up now have five career changes, so they have to be adept to changing. Yeah. And then um, the fact that there's going to be, yes, there's a whole loss of different jobs, but there's going to be a creation of new jobs with all with the direction we're going as well. Yeah, so what is interesting is the hollowing out of the middle class, which we see economically, but we also see that, I think, in terms of the workforce. So there will be some super creative jobs that are required, obviously people designing things uh, which you can then use at home. So, for example, if you want to print out your own dog collar, um, you will need to go onto the internet to get the design that you want. So somebody will have to have, at the moment, designed a particular type of dog collar that you want for your pet. Uh, So that sort of higher-order skill will be required. And also, of course, you've got the growth of lower-order skills, you know, people delivering food, people being Uber drivers. This is at the other end. But in the middle... All those middle-class jobs, I think, are probably under threat. Well, certainly the whole manufacturing sector would therefore be under threat. So I'm very worried that we, we are losing jobs faster than we can create them. Some people will clearly be winners in this, particularly if they've got a good background at the moment in artificial intelligence, the use of design. But, of course, eventually computers will do their own design. So who knows where we'll be in 20 or 30 years' time in terms of artificial intelligence. In other words, taking what I'm currently saying about 3D manufacturing up to the next level, which is when computers start to design computers. That's, that, you know, this is real science fiction stuff. I'm just dealing with immediate issues and encouraging people to think about the immediate implications of the 3D printing revolution. Oh, yeah, and I, and I completely understand that, but playing devil's advocate as well, you've yeah. got... Um, uh, the future is computers and robots and all those kind of things, but they don't understand humans. So is there not, won't there be a growth um, in human-related jobs because machines can't relate to humans? So servicing, service of jobs, relationships jobs. Yes, absolutely. So the real growth area in Australia today is in aged care and healthcare. So if, if you've got young children and they want to be thinking about careers, then obviously healthcare 
aged care will be the way to go. Not so much childcare, because although we're not too bad in this country, we've got the highest rate of population growth in the Western world. Uh, but even so, um, we're not producing children nearly at the same rate that we were doing during the baby boom years. Um, but certainly aged care, childcare, they will be growth areas, but they're also very lowly paid unless you happen to be a, a brain surgeon or something like that. So those those careers are very important but are not well paid. So we will need to have a change there in terms of making sure that personal carers, um, assistance in nursing, etc., do get better pay. So 3D printing, let's go back to that. Um, to end off on, where are we at with it now? Who is using it in everyday practice in well, Australia, for example? Um, as usual, when it comes to IT, Australia tends to lag behind. The United States is very good in this area and also China. Um, now, it's, it's the US that's getting most of the publicity about what you can do with 3D printing. So the United States, as I say, you've got this corporation in San Francisco publicised by the World Economic Forum, which is actually able to build a house. I think one of the things that... The, the World Economic Forum uh, publicises about this is the fact that people have so much difficulty imagining an entire house being printed. I know there's a similar one in the Netherlands, so there's a bit of rivalry already between the Netherlands and the whole of the EU. EU. See, the advantage of 3D printing, the negative sides we've already covered, the advantage of 3D printing is that you only use the material that you actually need. So in other words, that if you're making something from scratch, you tend to have a lot of raw material that's left over. If you can imagine cutting something out of wood, say, or out of stone, you end up with a lot of debris, which is simply discarded. Whereas with 3D printing, you are only going to use the materials that you actually need. For the house, you won't, you won't, and you will not have stuff to be thrown away on the rubbish tip. You will not have wasted resources. That's the advantage of three D printing. You just use what you need. Uh, so that's an advantage. It's going to help the environment, but it will not necessarily help the uh, queues of unemployed people. Dr. Keith is always very fascinating. This has been Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. And Global Truths is recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Liv Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app. 